Dear friends, welcome to the Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor Kay. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast episode. It means so much to me. And if you want to show some support, a little more support if you haven't yet, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. Give it a like, a comment. Reach out to me on social media. I want to hear from you at Mayor Kay, M-E-I-R-K-A-Y. Be sure to check out my children's book as well, a kid's book about optimism. It'll be in the show notes, a link to the book. It's fantastic for kids and kids at heart, for teachers, educators, parents to read with your children. Uh, it's all about optimism. <laughs> so without further ado, let's jump into this podcast episode with Stefanos Sefandos, a world-renowned coach. And he's done a lot of work with men, women, and couples, couplehood as well. I personally came across Steph's wisdom through the various podcasts that he's been on, and it just blew my mind. He's incredible, well-spoken, and has a deep insight to the human being, the experience, and has a beautiful, vulnerable share about his own personal journey to how he's gotten the knowledge that he has today to share with all of us. So we definitely touch on that as well as all the different topics around uh, working, showing up to, uh, against fear, showing up through fear, um, how different rituals and tips to show up more powerfully in our lives. And we touch on relationships as well. So be sure to, to uh, stick around for this podcast episode with the one and only Steph. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, kids, kids at heart. It's an honor to have with us Stefanos here. Steph, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, brother. It's good to be here. Good, 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 good. Um, as we were just talking briefly before we jumped on here was uh, a great connection. A mutual friend of ours was Ellie Nash. And um, I saw, I heard you and you're with your, with your, with your partner, Christine Hassler. And you mm -hmm. guys just dominated that conversation in a beautiful way. Uh, the respect, the maturity, the you could just tell the inner work was just flowing and the communication was amazing. I just knew one day I would have you on here. It's an honor to have you on the podcast. So thanks for making the time. Yeah, most definitely, man. So, I mean, one thing to jump in is uh, I, what, I, what I've noticed uh, about your way of being and uh, is this incredible, and I'm starting to see it pop up a little bit throughout the mentors and people that attract my attention now. Um, is this really calm, firm, humble, yet strong masculine energy that is coming from you. And, and it seems like a very different style of way of being in this world where growing up, um, I, there was like this give and take a very strong handle control type of, uh, energy coming from men or conquering. Uh, I was bullied as a kid as well. And there was like, I know growing up now, there's a lot of frustration that goes behind a bully. Someone who's, who is the bully or, you know, what kind of work what's going on in their own private life and their home. Um, I'm curious to know, like, how would you define healthy masculinity today? Um, compared to perhaps the type of masculine energy you possessed, uh, 20 years ago in your adolescence and early twenties. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hearing you ask almost two questions and, and what I'll do is I'll distill it to myself in terms of my own personal experience. So what I've experienced, you know, say 20 years ago as, as a young, I'm 39 years old. So 20, when I was 20 years old, it's a, it's a great age to compare to, to where as I am now. And by the way, thank you for your compliments and kindness. I, I definitely have a propensity sometimes to, uh, do the things that aren't so healthy in terms of my personal expression in the world. <laughs> That's for sure. I lose my temper. I'm impatient. I get agitated, frustrated. I project. I, uh, 
I, I think old thoughts of past and, and um, but we can get to that because I'll explain, you know, sort of who I was as a man before and, and, and who I continue to become now and, and who I am today as well. And, you know, all those things have improved too. You know, like I, I am more patient. I, I, I am more gentle and compassionate. I'm able to, to see, you know, the forest through the trees in a greater capacity. When I was young, I was very, very selfish, very traumatized and hiding and running from my trauma. I didn't have words, verbiage, feeling, sensation in the body to really understand it and connect to it. And so I was constantly numbing, whether it was drugs or sex, prostitution, pornography, masturbation, whatever, you know, alcohol, like all the things to move away from the thing I didn't want to feel. And I didn't even know what it was that I didn't want to feel. I just didn't want to feel it when it came up. And so the, the, for me, it was the, the, the equal nature of the, um, the pain I had to be met by the, so the intensity of the pain that I was experiencing had to be met by an equal intensity of pleasure. And to, to, to at least equal, if not more, to really, really make sure that I could suppress it more and more and really hide from myself. I was very erratic and scattered as a, as a young man, but at the same time, like I still was deeply philosophical, um, had an open heart. I genuinely cared for people. I genuinely cared for myself. And what happened was when, when times would become difficult, instead of being resilient and calm and grounded, I would become erratic and not necessarily on the surface, but internally. And so the way I would remedy that again was to, you know, find the woman, have the sex, everything outside of me, as opposed to sitting with that myself, I just didn't know how to. And again, Mm -hmm. I was studying psychology and, you know, taking people through hypnosis and counseling from a very young age, from my early twenties. Right. But it was all about them. I was never doing my own work. And so, you know, I had a burn build reality where, you know, sometimes I'd make some good money and then other times I, wouldn't make money for months and it was it was everything i was blaming everyone else i was never really taking responsibility that was the type of person that i was but on the surface i wore the masks i wore the facade and and people uh thought everything was okay people thought oh this guy's got it together like this guy's you know he's he's legit you know and i was of course um you know defined by my accolades particularly, you know, not only how much money I had and my status, but particularly my athletic ability as well, because as, as a kid growing up, also being bullied, also being overweight. Um, and, and then, you know, even for a short period of time, I don't want to say I became a bully, but somewhat, you know, because I, I was just so angry in my adolescence that I just projected on everyone. And I was very short with people and violence was the key because I was so I experienced so phys- so much physical violence against me in my home and at school as, as being bullied that I ended up going, instead of retracting in my adolescence, I lashed out to the world, right? And so there was there was just a lot of that. And I didn't know myself, right? And so on the surface, it, w- it was all cool, but inside it was just t- turmoil and chaos. And so, you know, going through so many different processes and experiences and working with so many different people, you know, shamans, coaches, energy healers, spiritual healers, guides you know indigenous people um not only of australia but you know of other nations uh, just really doing my inner work and, and going deeper into my own trauma and and uh obviously educating myself as well in that space um but actually being willing to do the work right like there's a lot of infidelity in my in my relationships in my life as well it, it, again it was very i wasn't being selfish to hurt people i was being selfish to run away from my own pain it's a paradox but that's what we do yeah and now, you know, after that very big transition, transitions, I should say, and, you know, they're multiple, they continue in different ways. 
um, you know, I'm just more honest with myself now. I'm just very real. I know my core wounds. I'm very familiar and aware of that stuff that I experienced as a young child developmentally and also through my teenage years and as a young adult. And I've really equilibrated and collapsed those experiences to the point where I've closed the loop neurologically on so many of those traumas. It doesn't mean I don't get activated still. It doesn't mean I don't get upset or angry or I'm this Zen master or any of that. But the core of that stuff, I've really, I really have closed the loops of trauma physiologically in my body. I've done a lot of somatic healing. And yeah, there's always more to do. Like if you're living life, there's more things that are going to come up, right? Totally. But but the intensity and and the the the, the I'm not at the beginning stage of my journey anymore. I'm I'm way further than that. It doesn't make me better than anyone else. It's not it's not that. It's just where I'm at in my healing journey. And so now I can see things with greater clarity. I can pause more. I can be more responsive. I'm, I am more grounded. I I I think before I act most of the time, way more often than I did before. Right? I'm still sure. reactive. Don't get me wrong. I'm still reactive. <laughs> Um, but, but all those life, life experiences have just brought me to a, a greater appreciation for myself. I love myself deeper. You know, I've, I've let go of so much shame. I had so much shame and self-judgment. Like I judge others less because I judge myself less. Yeah. And that's a journey that continues to be a journey, right? Like I can still be opinionated. I can still be somewhat dogmatic. I can still be very rigid in my thoughts and ideologies. Um, and I do my best to choose not to be that because that all that does is cause more division and more polarization within myself and within others. And I consider myself a teacher. Like I consider myself someone and a guide, right? I can consider myself someone that um, is on the path. And and that means that, you know, there's a necessity for me to be more open than closed, right? Right. And and be less rigid. And so I I suppose that's some big differences from where I was to where I am today. I mean, you touched on a whole lot and that's an incredible journey right there to like know oneself. And um, like you said, like it's not perfectionism that you're striving for, but mm-hmm. just progress in, in other words. And I know sometimes I get pushed back from people like, oh, Mayor, you've been working so hard at doing all this development work, but yet you just like, you still have some of these tendencies that still exist. And sometimes I can find myself like, oh man, they're right. But like you talked, you said so beautifully, it's like, no, I, I know myself more and there's the work pays off because you get triggered less or the, or the, or coming back at it, you're able to apologize faster or take the responsibility faster. There's, there's always continuous growth to be working on, but um, what is, what is something that you would wish you knew like a piece of advice? If you wish you could tell yourself uh, to your younger self growing up uh, of young men who are listening, like what's something that you wish, you know, you knew that would help you direct and redirect yourself on a path of, of growth and healing. Yeah. Be willing to sit with discomfort. Don't run away. Don't run away from discomfort with easily accessible joy and pleasure. You know, again, whether it's pornography, whether it's, um, you know, even exercise. Like I use the exercise as, as a way to distract. I mean, nothing wrong with exercise. I'm, I'm yeah. a big advocate. I haven't, I haven't stopped training and moving my body for, you know, I mean, I, I probably count. I mean, I, could, I was going to say I could count the amount of days that I've missed over the last 20, 25 years of training. That, that's not completely true. I don't think I could count, but very few and far between. Like I'm always moving my body. I'm a massive advocate of exercise, but for me, for so many years, exercise was a way to forget. Right. Like mm. instead of going to alcohol and drugs, I, you know, and, and crime like I used to and, and other silly things, other things that weren't really conducive to my growth, um, you know, directly. So they weren't sustainable. I would go to exercise, right? I would define myself by my athletic endeavors and ability, my ability to compete and 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 so forth. And so, you know, it's it's the intention and the why behind what we do, what we do, but just be willing. The the the, yeah. the advice I would say is be willing to sit with your discomfort and not run away from it. Like really just sit with it. 
don't mm. don't 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 chase the 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 elusive pleasure don't be like super hedonistic be be grounded in the experience every experience we have comes to us with some level of value but because it's undesirable like sadness or grief or anger or frustration or we just lost our job or our girlfriend just dumped us or whatever it may be you know or, or my mum just died or whatever but we want to avoid that so much because it's an undesirable state to be in but it's part of life and it's what gives context to pleasure. It's what gives context to understanding ourselves and to enjoying the things that matter to us, whether it's a sunset, whether it's, you know, your newborn baby being born, right? Like it gives context to that. It's the world of duality that we live in, but we push away what's undesirable, especially in today's modern world, you know, the fast paced, quick fix, short-term gratification, that's not healthy. We're polarizing ourselves. And when we're polarizing ourselves, we're becoming fractured. And so we've got these young men that are continuously fracturing themselves by making choices around, oh, I'm going to choose this thing because it's easier and it feels better. And I'm going to avoid this thing. And we keep doing that over and over and over again. And what often happens is we fracture ourselves and we lose connection with parts of ourselves. And now we're, we feel broken, even though we're not broken, but we feel broken and we're not whole. And so now we we don't feel whole. That doesn't feel good at all. That feels even worse. And so now what we do is we, well, we have to find the wholeness outside of ourselves. I'll find it in the money, in the bank account, in the way I look, uh, in the job that I've got, in whatever it is, you know, in the amount of, in the amount of women I can have sex with, in whatever, whatever it is that we classify that thing, we seek it outside of ourselves, that wholeness. And we get it for a, for a, for a split second. We get it, right? We get it. But then what? Plummet back down. Now we need more of it. Not only is that a neurological issue, it's a behavioral issue as well and an emotional issue. It's a spiritual crisis essentially is what's happening, an existential crisis, but we don't know it. We just think we need more of the thing that makes us feel good because, well, human beings should just feel good. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear that. And it sounds like there's like, even like a, it could turn into like an addictive um, personality, addictive way of being really. If yes. one falls into that way of like constant cycle of just chasing, chasing outside yourself. And like what you said, like this false belief. And I think, I, I think I know I've had that where it's like the, the pain and pleasure have to be on the same level. You know, if I'm getting X, if I'm feeling mm-hmm. all this pain, then I have to have at least the same amount of pleasure or more to balance that out. Not just finding my place to accept it and just to accept the feelings that I have in the present moment instead of having to always want to change and control the emotions that I'm feeling. Mm. Um, so, so let me ask you this like, um, how do you, how does one get to learn how to trust himself? I know that's something that I'm struggling and I'm starting to realize I just entered a relationship myself. And man, we'll, we'll jump into some relationship stuff soon, but like how that's a mirror for myself. I, I tend to just blame the other person, but, yeah. and so like, yes, I've realized in this relationship that I have a hard time trusting her, loving her. Um, and then I'm, through this work, I'm realizing, wait, that's all me, right? I don't, I'm having a hard time understanding myself, trusting myself, loving myself. And you mentioned like this, this continuous fracture that takes place because we're just, I'm, or unless in my case, I'm always chasing for the most immediate satisfaction or validation out of myself. So how does one begin that, that, that course of healing to start learning to trusting oneself again, to loving them, themselves one again, once again, so they could do that outside themselves towards another person, whether that's a romantic relationship, a friendship, you know, family, mm. whatnot. Well, there's a number of ways, but you know, one of the initial ways to do that is begin to embrace what we've been avoiding and neglecting, what we've been pushing away. So begin to bring that into our lives, the very thing that we dislike about ourselves, whether it's our anger 
or our propensity to cheat in relationship or our the way that we lie or a physical, like we don't like our chest or we don't like our hands or we don't like our um, penises or vaginas or whatever it may be, right? Like begin to start to love and bring into your life those parts that you've been neglecting, suppressing, avoiding, running away from. And when you do that, you begin to trust yourself. Mm. I mean, essentially, some of the modalities that we can use are, are trauma-informed modalities. Inner child work is very important as well, like because that ultimately integrates the parts of ourselves that we're either running from or that we're afraid of or that we, we're, self, we're in self-loathing with or that we're not in communion and connection with. So we feel that fracture. We, we, we feel not quite... Uh, aligned in our minds and in our relationships and so that's very helpful obviously what we spoke about before is being willing to do our inner work as well that's really helpful Uh, finding support so we have people in our lives that can see the forest through the trees that we can't see because we're so in our lives so having those important mirrors whether it's relationships or a coach or a men's group or a women's group or, you know, whatever it is, you know, a course that you do, a book that you read, you know, there can be entry points. I understand that people uh, don't all, always have financial access to do the $10,000 immersive or to go to India to work with the, the guru or whatever it may be, right? But you can start with a book. You can start with a $10 book. You can go to the library and get a library card. I mean, you know, and, and start reading right. that way. And, and that's a start. That's something, right? Like read, um, uh, family constellation work, you know, read John Bradshaw's uh, work on, on inner child healing as an example. Like sure. there's, 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 you know, read IFS internal family systems is another modality of inner child work. You know, my wife and I both have a level one and level two inner child course that we teach was, which is a total of like about five or six days. So we have that in that in those intense courses as well, but, you know, go and explore the world of yourself through others and through, through, doing something different and getting to know yourself in a different way. And that's, that's probably a, a, a way to begin to trust yourself. In addition to that, particularly for young men, challenge. Challenge is really, really important. It's the domain of the masculine. doesn't mean that women or children or anyone else can't get involved in the challenge. But when you challenge yourself, micro and macro challenges, for example, like I'm going to wake up at 7 a.m. every day or I'm going to you know stop doing coffee for a week or I'm going to aim to deadlift you know, 150 kilos or 200 kilos or whatever your goals are and your challenges are. And you then begin to overcome those challenges. You you begin to develop greater self-confidence, right? And that confidence opens you up to trusting the parts of you that you didn't think could do the thing that you've set out to do, right? Mm. And so again, that can be asking that girl out or it can be applying for that job that you thought you think, "Mm, I'm not going to be able to get that, like putting the resume together and whatever's involved. Challenge is a really great way to begin to trust yourself again. Yeah, that's for sure. Like I've, I found myself uh, recently going on a four-day solo backpacking trip through the mountains in New Hampshire, awesome. and that was incredible what it did for my self-confidence or, or even just the silence, knowing myself, but just proving to myself that, hey, Mary, mm. you could take care of yourself. Food, shelter, safe, got through it. And that was a really massive, um, massive changing point for my, for more recently, I just did this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so that was really amazing training for New York marathon now as well, just running for the marathon also challenge as well. So I definitely could attest to that. Like there's a lot to be said in that regard. When it comes to, you said inner child work, what does real inner child work sound, feel like, or what is that like? Because I feel like it's a buzzword that's being said around a lot. And if you just give some voice to what that, 
would look like? Is that just like talking to a therapist and saying, okay, like we're, we're, and talking about what it was like for you to grow up as a child? Uh, is this a, a blame way, a, a factor to like, I, I know we're not going to blame anybody here, but like, just like talk about my parents or our parents to say, hey, we weren't, didn't get the love that we needed. What does that, how would you explain that to somebody who, who's new to that? Yeah, so inner child work is essentially this, right? Yes, it can involve speaking to a therapist or a coach or a practitioner that specializes in a child work. Um, But essentially, for me, what inner child work is, is we're looking at the parts of our lives, developmentally particularly, right? From the age of zero to, it can go up to 18, but largely sort of 12 to 15 years of age, but definitely up to 18, 19. It can work there as well. And essentially, most inner child work is parts therapy. So it doesn't mean that you're, you have multiple personalities or anything like that, but we have multiple parts to us in the ways that we see the world. We th- see the world through different lenses. And sometimes growing up, we experience traumatic events and we have painful experiences that we move through. Yeah. And in, in usually in relationship, usually in relationship, of course, we can have, uh, you know, we could be in a car accident at the age of four and that traumatizes our nervous system. And there's those things as well that happen. But what we're doing is we're, we're giving texture. We're giving accessibility to those parts of us that have been suppressed or that have formed in such a way during our developmental years that haven't been in the most healthiest ways. And they inform those belief systems, those patterns of behavior, the way we see the world, give and receive love, the way we see our own worthiness, they inform how we behave as adults. And so when we start working with an inner child, we start working with that little boy we knew that was seven years old that maybe got hit really hard by dad and didn't know what to do and got really scared and it stored stuff in the in the body physiologically and developed a pattern of relating to men maybe. And then after that, it was more hypervigilant and the hypervigilance compounded and then you pushed away men more and more and more and then you've developed a pattern of, well, I can't trust men as an adult, as an example, right? We work with that seven-year-old part of you because it's, it gives us tangibility. And when something's tangible, it's more real for us as opposed to being in the ethereal. So working with that inner child is really working with aspects of our personality, aspects of our mental self, emotional self, spiritual self, aspects of our brain, aspects of our development, and it becomes tangible and accessible. And that's, mm. that for me is what inner child work is. And yes, it's definitely working with the mind and with belief systems and thought processes and the emotional body and who we are in relation to people and who we are in relation to ourselves. And again, how we give and receive love and how we deal with intimacy and what our fears are and, and what we're most challenged by and how we deal with challenge and difficulty. So that to me is how I would really uh, explain inner child work. And you can do inner child work by yourself when you know how to. And it can be as simple as developing a communion with that part of yourself that was really hurt, right? And there's so many different tools and techniques to do that, whether it's very specific journaling practices or Gestalt-style therapeutic practices. There's many different techniques. Mm, got it. That's amazing. And and that's a big part of what um... – a big part of my own healing process, inner, inner child work. And that's, it's really incredible. And uh, there's something that it's also been interesting to like, you know, get noticed about is like, I've heard in one of your, you know, one of your conversations on a, on a, on a previous podcast, you're, you're pretty popular in the podcast circuit. You have a lot to share. Um, is like this tendency to like, to, to be a people, people pleaser. And that's something that mm. you noticed and worked through. And, and gosh, man, that's something that I really connected with in regard of wanting to always, get the people make get those yeses say yes and in the way i would in in that way i would also sacrifice my own self and my own and and lose myself in those yeses um what what is a so where's that balance i would say between 
the, the part of you that wants to help people and wants to like do good and, and show up for your friends and family and strangers. And where's that line, that boundary to where you find yourself overextending yourself and like, oh, wait, I just entered perhaps what it means to be a people pleaser. It's different for everyone, but essentially if you're compromising your values on a consistent basis and the you're deriving your self-worth and your value, your sense of worth with what you do for others, then you're probably in a codependent relationship with that person. And you're probably neglecting yourself and minimizing yourself and maximizing them uh, or that relationship or that thing or that person or whatever it may be in order to have some relief. Okay, I'm worthy. I did this thing for that that person. Now I feel better. That's probably a good indication that you're, you know, when you're sacrificing yourself in that way, that's not healthy and it's not sustainable, essentially. Yeah, right. When you recognize that you're sacrificing yourself, you feel may perhaps depleted as well afterwards and uh, losing that yep. drive to, to be there. Totally. Um, there seems to be, uh, you know, talking about, you know, I guess segueing to, into relationship and, and, and into relationships in general. Um, you know, there is a lot of, you know, balance. You talk about the masculine energy and the, and the feminine energy. Um, I would ask you, like, in this day and age where there's a lot of talk around equality with men and women, where does that type of, how does masculine and feminine energy, where does that fall? Where's the difference? How is it defined when some people want to be, like, equal in the sense of man, man and woman? Where does, where is that, where is it on a more, I would say, spiritual, energetic level, how does that masculine and feminine energy show up? Yeah, having equitable – there are multiple conversations going on at the same time. This is the, the confusing piece, right? So having equitable, sorry, equitable and equal access to resources um, is a healthy thing. It doesn't matter if you're 70 years old or 12 years old or you're, you're, you're a woman, you're a man, you're whatever, whatever you consider yourself, whatever creed, nationality, ethnicity, whatever, like equal access to resources as human beings is – a fair and equitable thing, right? To say that we're the same and to homogenize men and women, I just think is ridiculous because we're different and it's okay. Like we, we demonize difference. And what's happened in the past is that's what we have done. We demonize difference. And at some level, men and the masculine energetic has said that women and the feminine energetic is uh, inferior to us. And at a collective level, right? I'm not saying you think that or I think that, but at a collective level. And we've played that out systemically in different ways for thousands of years. And, and that's, that's not fair. And that's not true either. But to say that we are the same is not true either because <laughs> we're not the same. And so we can celebrate our similarities and celebrate our differences. And that's okay. So for me, I don't know. It's a, it's a really, a, it's a mute conversation. I don't, I don't, I, I don't I don't really get it. Oh, I do get it because I understand human behavior and I get the fears that we're coming from. And it's not only generational wounding and trauma that hasn't been healed and generational pain that hasn't been healed and that's carrying over into the collective essence of who we are today. But it's also individual pain as well. And I'm, I'm not here to minimize that experience. You know, like you, I'm sure you've had traumatic experiences. I personally have as well. Um, and you and I don't know what it's like to be a woman. We just don't. Um, we can empathize, absolutely, but we don't know what it's like. We don't know what, and, and we can keep peeling back um, the, you know, the the perception of minority groups and minority groups and what they have been through um, as a collective and as individuals. And 
either the atrocity or the the oppression and so forth. And and as young men, we may not understand that in great detail. However, we need to stop this really intense separation that we're creating for ourselves. Masculine energetics exist. Feminine energetics exist. It's two wings of the same bird. That's really all it is. It's ways to under, we, you know, we create duality. Well, we live in a world of duality, first of all, but we, we create distinction because it's a very, it provides a very rich learning experience. The contrast provides a very rich learning experience. Feminine energetics aren't inferior to masculine energetics. It's not how it works. However, we've prioritized certain values over others. And we think that, oh, that's masculine. Well, that's part of the masculine expression. Therefore, it's toxic or it's it's completely unhealthy. Well, I, I disagree with that because that's not true because what toxic behavior is, is unsustainable, unhealthy behavior. That's extreme. So when we look at leadership that oppresses and controls and coerces and is autocratic, that, that's 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 unhealthy. That's extreme. Yeah, that's toxic behavior. Can that can that those those expressions fall under the masculine? Sure, but it's shadow like masculine behavior. Okay, it's not it's not the entirety the entire representation of what it means to be in masculine energy, in any capacity. And so I just I just think at some level like we've got to drop the drama and and I and I get the hurt and I get the pain I get it and we also need to create safe spaces for people to express and emote and move that trauma through their bodies in really intelligent ways right mm. so that we can move beyond the past and not be dictated by the past because that's what's happening our bodies are telling us this is unsafe react to it and react to it in a protective way that could be on the defense the back foot retracting from the world generally speaking or attacking being aggressive right yeah both don't yeah. work yeah, totally. And I know um, people get, I know men, I myself initially, and I still do get, a, you know, uncomfortable sometimes when I tap into that feminine energy of my own, where, you know, even growing up, my, my dad used to tell me how sensitive I am, not in a derogatory way or in a mean way, just like, and I would, but I would just curl up and like, oh no, I'm not sensitive. And I would shut down even more and like hide my emotions and not share as much because I didn't want to show that part of me. But now in my, in my early thirties, I find myself embracing and being okay with this sensitive part of myself ensuring that part of myself more um understanding that it's 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 the opposite it's not weak but it's powerful and getting more comfortable sharing and being vulnerable with that though sometimes i do find myself intimidated by a woman who's more masculine um and who has like that sort of assertiveness and energy and, and decisiveness that um when she shows up and i wonder like what i guess if talking it out i suppose that that's just rubbing up against my own um, insecurities around my own deci- decisiveness or times where it's like, oh, wait, she has this leadership role in this moment. I feel like I should have it, but it's okay if she takes the lead on this one. Well, there are going to be situations where in the, in this, you know, heterosexual, heteronormative relationship that you're in, there's going to be, there's going to be times when I'm sure your lady takes a lead, right? Like that's, she takes the lead on a decision or takes the lead on, on some action, if that becomes a pattern and a habit where she's in that leadership energetic consistently, then she's in a masculine energetic. And by the way, so masculine and feminine energies reside within every single human being. She's, she's within that masculine energetic. Now, some would say, and I have a tendency to agree with this, in the majority of people, that's not necessarily, I don't want to say natural, it's just not, not necessarily sustainable in what most 
um, women, females want, right? They don't want to consistently be in leadership. Do they want to lead themselves? Are they capable of leading themselves and leading others? That's really good and healthy when women do do that as well, right? Can men be led? Yes. I have I, co-founded a men's group here. Um, there's three of us that are main leaders and, and I find myself leading and co-leading, leading and being led. For me, that you know, as a side note, one of the the greatest attributes of leaders is our ability to be led when we need to be led, right? That doesn't make us less men, less of less men or less masculine in any capacity, right? But if if she's in that role and you're consistently just saying, okay, well, I'm just going to revert to you and to your decision making process, I don't know how well that would work in your dynamic unless she thrives. She has a dominant masculine energy, and you have a dominant feminine energy, and that that may work well if that works well for both of you. If you want to cultivate a deeper masculine energetic, then it may not work well for you, especially if she wants to cultivate a deeper feminine energetic. And then, you know, being led and leading are just two two aspects of that, right? Like there's a polarity there. But if you're reverting to her because you don't trust yourself or you're insecure within yourself, that's yes, that's that's for you to work on. Like our first port of call as individuals needs to be, particularly for men, needs to be in, in us in a self-reliant way. And so if you are reverting to her and even other people, I'd say it's a pattern in your life potentially where, oh, I don't trust myself, I'll just let them lead. Well, that's something for you to look at in a really deep and meaningful way and in an exciting way as well. Like that's exciting that you get to look at that. I think that's amazing. Okay. And great. Look at that and what's next for you. Where's that coming from? What's the source of that? Where did you first learn that you weren't good enough to lead or you weren't wise enough or enough or any of that like where did that come from because the the core entanglement of that and healing that not understanding it but healing that through the body through very specific processes can be deeply rewarding for you and expansive and now you'll step in more into your power and you'll see like you you'll observe how does that work in my relationship dynamic how does it work when i take the lead on you know, what we do with our lives, you know, where we live or where we go to dinner and, and how we, how we control our finances or all of that. That doesn't mean that she's meek and passive and doesn't have a voice and you don't ask her for her perspective. I often ask my wife for my perspective from, from, for her perspective, because her perspective is super valuable to me. And it, it, again, it's, I trust her perspective. I trust her wisdom. I trust who she is. It's not, but I don't ask her because I don't trust myself. I ask her because I want to. I want another perspective. I want another vantage point. I want more insight into the thing that I maybe can't see. I don't want to be arrogant enough to think I know it all. But I'm also confident to trust myself. And I'm also confident enough to trust what wisdom she's going to give me and how I'm going to process that. And just because she shares something with me doesn't mean I have to take it on. But that thing that you're not feeling confident in yourself—that's a you thing, right? That's an internal thing, and. That's something that's really exciting because that's an opportunity you get to work with, especially if you're in relationship and your partner is really deeply compassionate in that space and sees you and is empathetic with that and can meet you with non-judgment. That's empowering. Mm, that's that's that is huge and that's and that's massive. But if someone is on this on this journey of self-growth and and to really get to know themselves better, um, how do you? how does that person know that they're ready to date? How are they knowing that they're ready to like go back into the dating pool or to start dating again? Um, can someone, can someone date while they're healing? I know this is something that you touched on, on your, one of your popular posts on your Instagram, which we're going to post that, but like how could someone go ahead and 
you know, obviously healing takes forever. So how do you know when you're ready to go ahead and, and step into that, into that relationship uh, arena? Yeah, I did a, I did a video on this uh, not long ago, actually, like I think the last couple of days or last few days, and I'm not sure when you're releasing this, but it's, it's a tricky question, right? It, it really comes down to self-awareness. Like if you're entering relationship and you're, all over the place. You're disconnected and disorientated and you're overwhelmed and you're in constantly emotionally processing. You probably shouldn't be in relationship because you don't have space for it, right? If you can enter relate, we're always going to have work to do. That's the first really rules re- response to that. You're in relationship, like the work never ends. It's like if we're alive and we have a heartbeat and we have new experiences and even, you know, repeatable experiences on a daily basis, we're going to have work that we're going to need to do in ourselves in some capacity, right? That, that's, that's just a given. Um, but if we haven't attended to real core wounds that we've experienced, we're just going to bring that into relationship. And if that person can't hold that, and, and maybe they shouldn't hold that either, right? But if they can't hold that, they're just going to be reactive as well. Because more than likely you'll attract um, someone that's at a similar level of, wound, of complementary wounding. So now you're just, you're just re, re-enacting all that wounding. You're just re, you're re-traumatizing no. yourself essentially. So there's going to be a, a decent amount of work that you do on your own to say, I'm confident I can be in relationship. Yeah, I've got stuff to work on, but I also know the stuff I still need to work on. Dot, 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 right? And you can enter a relationship with that level of awareness and that level of willingness to not project your stuff. Because if you're projecting consistently in relationship and you're not taking responsibility for your own stuff and your own actions and thoughts and feelings and behaviors and beliefs, and you're, you're being very codependent and hyper-reliant on someone else and making it all their fault, probably shouldn't be in relationship. It's too early to be in relationship. And you're, just, you're in a dysfunctional, unhealthy relationship. Mm-hmm. And to decipher between your baggage and theirs, how, how does one going about doing that? That's a great question as well. I mean, it just comes down to self-awareness. You've got to get to know yourself, right? Like, and, and it's it's combination of, you know, there's some, there's some, um, how can I put it, perspectives and ideologies in the personal growth space that is, you know, if you're feeling something, that's you, look in the mirror. You know, if you're upset at someone, you're angry at someone, that's you, look in the mirror. Yeah, absolutely. First port of call is us and we're in relationship. We're relational beings. There's probably something going on there as well. It's a two-way street. Now it may be more yours and less theirs. Cool. But there's something there in that dynamic that makes it spark. So yes, look at yourself, but don't be extreme and take massive responsibility. Take responsibility. Take hundred percent responsibility for your 50% of the road. Like it's that type of thing, right? Like that's, that's really, yeah. that's really where it's at. Mm. Got that. Very cool. So uh, to, to start wrapping this up, um, I did want to ask you, though, um, I know you do mention like you do some sort of coaching as well when, with, with your wife when it comes to relationships. And there's one bit that did point out where you start, you, you explain that you could come in and show like what healthy masculinity looks like. And you point out, what does you say uh, you, you could show what depth and presence feels like in a man. Um, I wonder if you could elaborate on that, what that feels like for uh, for what that experience, what you could bring to the table in that regard. You, so you're asking what does depth and presence feel like in the body when a man is in depth and presence? Yes. Yeah. So it, it's an unwavering confidence. It's, it's not, it's not being shaken up by what's happening in his external world. 
It doesn't that doesn't mean he's emotionless. He's calm, there's a calmness there. He, he can he can feel and express vulnerably because he trusts himself. The, he, in his physical posture, his spine is erect. His gaze is deep. His breathing is slow. His speaking is slow. There's that level of of presence, right? There's a an awareness and a knowledge, a gnosis that he's been through difficult things in his life, and he'll continue to go through difficult things but they won't affect him in such a way where he has to be reactive, where he's riddled with fear. Presence is also just being available, not being reactive, not waiting for someone to finish what they're saying so you can respond, but rather really attuning to who they are. You're not scared by, you're not fear, you're not fearful of what they're going to say. You know who you are. Like when someone, if someone is insulting you, it's, you don't take that personally. You don't need to because you also know that I, I can listen to this. I can set a healthy boundary, however you do that. There may be some truth here underneath, underneath their rage and emotion. And at the same time, I'm not taking on their stuff. Mm. I can look at myself and say, oh, I wonder if there's some truth to that. But I'm not taking on their stuff and nor do I need to. And so a man of presence and depth knows when to move in and knows when to step back. There's a greater awareness there. I mean, you keep going on, and I could keep going on and on in pragmatic and poetic ways, but essentially that's, for me, that's the depth of presence. He knows himself. He trusts himself. He loves himself. He cares for himself. You know, he's not afraid to speak his truth. He doesn't have to do it in an aggressive way. And if someone's not willing to hear him, it's like, I'm fine with that. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow, Steph, that's that's really beautiful, and there's there's a whole lot more to to, to discover with you. If people want to learn more about uh, what you're up to and how to perhaps work with you and find you, where can they do that? Yeah, thank you. Um, my website, stephanosifandos.com or growwithsteph.com, and my social media is at uh, stephanosifandos. Awesome. That's really, really great. And to end off the, the uh, final question, this is the Great Day Podcast. So what is a great day for you? Uh, <laughs> oh, man, I just really love life, bro. So, I, I mean, there's so many elements that make my days great. Um, you know, spending time with myself in stillness and silence, um, spending time with my wife, you know, just connecting intimately, talking, um, exploring, you know, our, our consciousness together, um, you know, working with my clients, working on my businesses, um, you know, connecting with friends and people, exercising, you know, really moving my body, training at high intensity. I enjoy that. I enjoy challenging myself, learning, so, you know, reading, just, I mean, being in nature, there's, and, and sometimes I have all of that in my day and sometimes not, you know, but I mean, I obviously have practices and, and rituals that I engage in that help me just, you know, feel great and feel grounded and give me greater clarity and perspective and expansiveness and self. And yeah, man, I mean, uh, exploring with different sacraments, that's a, that's a great day as well. You know, so there's just, yeah, there's a, there's a lot there. A lot of options. Service. Yeah. Wonderful. Steph, thank you so much. Really. Thank you for making the time today. It was really a great pleasure chatting with you. Appreciate you, man. Likewise. You did it. You made it through the podcast. Fantastic. I hope you enjoyed Give a comment and like if you did. Reach out to me on social media. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode and be sure to check out the many other episodes we have on the Great Day Podcast. Big shout out to Steph 
Thank you so much, my man, for showing up, sharing your experience and wisdom with me and with all of us today. And like I always say, stay positive, be happy. I'm Mayor Kay, and have a great day.